Hey everyone, it's Heather. I'm so excited about our new resource for single women, Authentically You. One of the most challenging parts of life is navigating relationships. This can be especially true for women who have been tainted by negative sexual experiences and mistakes from their past, or when the struggle with porn and masturbation takes hold and won't let go. This leaves them feeling distant from God, separated by the weight of shame and regret. If this is you, you're not alone. Authentically You was written specifically for single and college-aged women, those who are on the working career path and those who are in college. This 20-lesson curriculum is easily adaptable to a busy work schedule or a college semester system. Through this group experience, you'll explore how your past pain and trauma contribute to distorted beliefs and an unhealthy thought life. You'll uncover the role your family of origin plays in your past and current behaviors and address the issues that perpetuate compulsive and addictive patterns. And through the use of weekly exercises, strategic tools, and self-care focus, you'll learn how to live in health, how to live as your true, authentic self. I know God has a plan for your life to bring you to a place of health and wholeness. If you allow it, God will do amazing things in you and through you. So pre-order today, Authentically You. Go to puredesire.org A-Y. That's puredesire.org A-Y. Welcome to the Pure Desire Podcast, where we partner with you to bring hope and freedom on your journey to purity. Hey there, I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and we're so thankful you're taking time out of your day to hang out with us. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Nick Stumbo. Does this microphone make me look fat? And today we are joined by a first-time guest, Debbie Flanagan. Debbie is one of our pastoral sex addiction professionals on our clinical team, Debbie, welcome to the PD Podcast. It's good to be here. Welcome, Debbie. Yes. Thank you. We're happy to have Debbie on the podcast today to talk about when a spouse is suspecting that their husband or wife has a sex or porn addiction or is just struggling potentially with those things. This is a pretty difficult scenario and is one where it's really hard to know what to do. So we're looking forward to, Debbie, you helping us kind of talk through it and uh, really help our listeners if they find themselves in the situation. So are you ready to get going? I'm ready. All righty. So before we jump into the actual questions, Debbie, we just want to give you an opportunity to tell uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, your experience with Pure Desire, and just kind of, you know, your your story. Sure. And uh, my healing really started back in 1994 when uh, both Ted and Diane Roberts were at East Hill Church. And I showed up one day going, what is wrong with me? What's going, what's happening to me? And um Diane had started a group for women, for, for women only. And I thought, I think that's what's wrong with me. And I think it was just the, the Holy Spirit speaking. So that's how my healing started, was getting involved with her, hmm. going through the female sex addiction uh, classes. And then, um, but I learned a lot about trauma and my, uh, all the things that I had been um, suffering from. And then uh, about four, uh, four years ago, came here to Pure Desire to counsel with Harry and got more involved with... Uh, um, helping the wives. And I thought, wow, um, I really like doing yeah. this. It was so rewarding helping the ladies through through this tra- trauma. And then that's when I uh, just decided I want more, more training. And I went to the um, the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals and got the, the uh, certification along with my pastoral license. Mm-hmm. And it's been history since then. That's awesome. Yeah. So four years you've been counseling on staff. 
Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then your background, you know, sex addiction was a part of your guys' story. Is that correct? That, you and Harry's story? That's that's correct. Yeah. Um, individually, you know, we because uh, we met um, after I had been through some healing and Harry had just started going through uh, the four, four men only. And he had been at the church for, you know, a certain, uh, think about a year or two. And so we mm. met, uh, 20, 21 years ago. We've been married 20, 21 years now. So. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Well, when we've had Harry on the podcast, we like Harry. He's one of our favorite people. <laughs> yes. So we're glad to get the other side. And yeah. if any questions come up about Harry in the podcast, <laughs> maybe we'll, maybe we'll ask for yeah. some insight. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he, uh, he has a, we, I, I use him as an example a lot in oh, counseling. Perfect. Perfect. Well, first off, uh, Trevor, I can't believe my intro didn't get any reaction from you. I was looking for something on that one. I'm, I'm turning into a professional podcaster, so I think that it's just I'm getting used to the insanity. Like, whatever he says, I'm not going to react to it. Yes. That's that's probably wise. I think my wife does the same thing. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Debbie, we are discussing today something that can be very challenging for people. And very often, you know, what Pure Desire does, we're here kind of on the the after the what do I do after I realize I'm struggling with addiction mm-hmm. what do I do after I found out my spouse has an addiction and this podcast is really different because it's all about the before the the person who's mm-hmm. uh, in a relationship and they're they're picking up on some signs or different things they're observing that just make them wonder is my spouse battling with an addiction or are they they really struggling with pornography or other sexual issues and so just take a moment, if you would, and describe what is that like for a spouse that's kind of dealing with those suspicions? Mm-hmm. If you suspect, you know, sometimes your suspicion comes in as an in- intuition. There's, you, you, you feel um, disconnected at some point, you know, you're, and, and the thoughts that, why do I feel disconnected? But that kind of disconnection is a... Um, it's almost like a gut gut level. You don't even know. You just sense it. Wives, I think, husbands and wives, we, we are phys- physiologically a unit. We key off each other e- emotionally. I mean, that's the way God God intended us to be. Mm-hmm. The the two two become one. So in, in in essence, you really do. And so when one is anxious, the other one gets anxious. It's just sort of our heartbeats start beating together. Yeah. And we really do do become come one. So when so when one spouse is suspecting that something's wrong because there's a disconnection, a fear's going going to arise, mm-hmm. and we have to really watch that fear level to say in ourselves, fear causes me to do all kinds of things, and so it's really a, a the you know generally it's like okay I'm afraid I'm afraid something's going to happen, and so fear rises, and then the way to suspect the way to deal with that is to start um, rising up to protect that that fear. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Debbie, that, that fear enters in. And, and we want to be careful with fear, right? Because sometimes fear makes us do illogical things or look to blame. And so, um, you know, in a relationship, if, if one spouse is finding that the other is isolating a lot or they feel like they're staying up late by themselves and they're on their computer or their phone or watching a lot of TV, you know, those things might have some legitimate reasons for concern. But on the other hand, we also want to make sure we're not just assuming that, oh, there's a disconnect in our relationship. It must be my spouse's struggle with pornography yeah, because right. that can be a convenient way to maybe blame a relation issue on something that may or may not exist. So I think it's really great that you just bring out that when we have that fear response, we want to make sure we don't let it take us to irrational places or just look to blame 
um, the problem on something that may or may not be there. That's very true. I mean, fear makes us do all kinds of things, even if it's, uh, you know, <laughs> yes. you know, and, and that's why, we, you know, he, that's why looking at, okay, what, what is my real fear? What is going on? And, and a lot, mo- a lot of times it's that fear of re- rejection or abandonment. Oh, he's watching some, something. And it's this, you know, it's almost unexplainable. We don't always re- really know because a lot of times we have behaviors that, that, that protect us from the, the that kind of fear so mm-hmm. that we that's been an operation we might we may have already been involved with or have be- behaviors of anger or depression or some other behavior that has really helped us with the fear so now when there's a, a, a you suspect something that fear is going to rise even mm-hmm. higher yeah well and I think that that fear really it, it raises the level of paranoia and it, it, even if it is just a, a fear towards one certain direction of you know is he struggling or is she struggling with porn or with sex but then I think that that paranoia crosses over into other areas like you know is he doing other things is he spending more money than he should be is he staying out too late different things like that mm-hmm. and I think that 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 kind of just leads us into this next question of that whole idea if if a spouse is suspecting of um, their husband or wife with with some sort of struggle in the sexual realm, mm-hmm. should they go looking for it? Should they go digging? What what should they do? Well, we have to really look at fear. You know, f- with fear usually comes control. You know, when we're when we're fe- feeling fearful, we're not feeling safe, mm-hmm. and so then our you know our response to that is to is to control, which is that uh, what you had talked about with going to, you know, what what else are are they doing? Mm-hmm. So now, you know, fear is ri- rising. Um, digging is not, you know, going to look for stuff that isn't there only fuels your ang- anxiety yeah, right. already. And, um, and, you know, we digging is for the detectives to do. We don't want to be the detective. Most, most wives say, I don't want to be that accountability partner. Mm-hmm. I don't want to... I don't want to do that, but our fear kind of compels us to that control. You know, I've got to go find something to prove that my in- intuition is right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Nick, you and I, we go to um, PDU events around the country, and I feel like this comes up a lot where, you know, there are people who ask, what is the role that I'm supposed to play if I think my spouse is struggling? Should I be the policeman in the house? And I think that, you know, through our conversations and through, uh, really answering that question, we find out that uh, nobody wins if one of the spouses is mm-hmm. a police officer in the house. I mean, nobody wins because there's always that suspicion and paranoia on the spouse that's suspecting. But then there's that that sense of being controlled and feeling like I have to now answer to my spouse in every single thing, every every single second of every day has to be accounted for. And I don't think that that's a healthy culture inside no. of the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there are definitely steps a spouse could be taking Uh, just to create health in their environment and in some ways they can gauge the reaction their spouse has to those things that you might go to your spouse and say you know we we want to be responsible with our use of our television and so let's set some block or some guards on certain ratings or uh, with our computers and internet use let's get a filter let's have some tracking software particularly if you have kids in the home and so a suspecting spouse might be able to take some steps like that just towards health of their environment and their devices recognizing that the world is growing increasingly dim and there's there's just really um, inappropriate material that is so accessible and so in creating some of those safeguards that may actually um, bring some of the issues to the forefront so if you find boy my spouse is really really resistant to any sort of filtering devices even though we have kids in the home okay now that you're starting to Mm -hmm. maybe pick up on some signs that there's something amiss because those are things 
we should want for ourselves and for our children, uh, because having uh, unfettered access to everything that's out there, that's dangerous. Yeah. And so we can take those steps proactively and not just wait until we know there is a problem. Mm-hmm. And so in creating that healthy environment, that might be part of what can help expose the issues that are already there. Yes, Ick, I think putting those kinds of protections is a good thing in, in, in the home. And um, however, gauging your spouse's response to that might not be an indicator that there is a problem, but it could. It, mm-hmm. but, but it also could raise your level of, of fear, like maybe something is wrong. And so um, I like to approach, if you, if you suspect your spouse um, is, you know, of course, not to go di- digging, but to first calm, calm, that, calm that fear down and say, what, a, what is it I'm afraid of? What is it that I'm ex- experiencing? Am I experiencing disconnection from him? Mm. What brought on this di- disconnection? Why is it that I'm thinking he might be having a problem with por- pornography versus, oh, maybe he's got a problem with this? Now, in working with a lot of sex addicts, there's usually a, more than just sex addiction. There's usually, like we said, 82% of people struggle with more than one pro- process addi- addiction. So mm-hmm. if he's, is he also angry? Is he also maybe drinking too too much? So there, there, it's not that there's a sign that there's sex addiction there. It's just that there's something else going on. So why am I disconnected? Why am I feeling like I've tried to reach out to him and he hasn't really connected? So now you can go in and say, gosh, I'm feeling really disconnected. So staying calm is the yeah. first line, line of defense. Don't jump, jump to conclusions, but really kind of say, what is it that I'm really feeling? Hmm. I'm feeling kind of scared that he is doing this. Well, it sounds like what you're saying is to check yourself first, to make sure that they're, make sure, check your own heart, mm-hmm. find some self-awareness before you move forward or before you really let that suspicion take, you know, take flight in that sense. You're, you're letting yourself uh, evaluate, okay, where am I at? What have I been struggling with? What are some points of tension? You know, what has maybe triggered me in the last week that's like brought this on? So really just self-awareness is what I'm hearing from you. Yes, that's correct. Because if we allow that fear to take, take over and it, and then we start fueling that anxiety with control, blame, anger, uh, or just our fear rises up it kind of overtakes that, you know, the calmness that 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 we want to have. And um, so I'm a big proponent about being very direct, especially if you're, you know, looking at it from a sex addiction point of view, being direct with somebody and saying what it is a lot more, I think, um, um, is a lot more um, beneficial Mm -hmm. than it is to sort of say, honey, is everything thing okay? He's going to say, well, sure, everything's okay. But when I approach it like, um, I've been feeling really disconnected late, lately. Are you struggling with pornography? Mm-hmm. Because this is what I've been experiencing. Um, you know, maybe the laptop was left open or maybe, um, you know, it, 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 you, you have to sort of, you know, why do I feel this way? I'm feeling dis- disconnected and I tried to reach out to you and um, this way, and you didn't respond, and I'm so I'm I'm um, I want to find find out: Are you str- struggling w- with pornography, or are you ha- having an affair? Mm-hmm. Being very direct, of course, is very vul- vulnerable. You're not accusing him, but you're asking the direct question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Debbie, you're starting to kind of lead into well, how how do I know if there's a real problem, and that 
that direction to be just very um, straightforward about it and ask out of real humility and grace, like, hey, what's happening in this area? So as couples start to have this kind of conversation, how would they know if their spouse actually has a problem with pornography? You know, maybe they ask about it and the spouse says, oh, it's just once in a while. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. And I think that's the common response. You know, I know it was in my life, even as I was confessing things to my wife, was to try to make her feel good and happy, like, hey, I'm working on it. It's not going to happen again. I've taken these steps. And um, so as couples are starting to have the conversation, they might get that kind of minimizing of the mm-hmm. behavior. So how could a spouse know if, if there really is a problem that needs to be addressed here? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, you know, as as you were saying, problem, the word problem with is a subjective term for the, the guy because he's going to say, no, it's not a problem. We're, but, you know, pornography in any dose is harmful to, to the brain. And chances are there it is a problem. And because if they've said, well, I've watched it a couple times, it's not, it's not a big, big deal. I guess the, the next step would say, well, are you willing to go for some, some counseling in this area? Because it causes a lot of fear, fear in me. And I've heard, I've read reports or whatever you, 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 whatever you can bring to the table to, of, as far as what, what you know, saying it is a problem and it, I feel really be, betrayed by that. And, you know, so approaching it from your feeling point, point of view, you know, that, you know, knowing that you've even watched it a couple of times is very, um, you know, makes me really fearful and mm-hmm. I really want to work on this. I, let's go for s- some counseling together. Yeah, I think that's so good because one of the things we do see happening in our culture is kind of a broader acceptance, even in the church, to say, oh, this is just a guy problem. Everyone does it so long as it's not, you know, too often. We kind of dismiss it, but I I really believe what you said is so true that in in any dose, it's Mm -hmm. a problem. Mm -hmm. And so for that spouse to be able to communicate, this is hurtful to me. It's harmful to our relationship. Um, and, And if you love me and are committed to our relationship, I believe you should be committed to not doing this at all. And the other reality that we find, and you know, I know from my own story, so this is speaking from personal experience, if I'm willing to say, well, yeah, it's happening once in a while and I'm actively minimizing it, there's more going on. Mm-hmm. And I would just you know, guess that yes. in 90% of the situations when someone says, oh, it's only once in a while, you're only getting part of the story. Yeah. And so that is um, a red flag for a spouse to take real seriously. If, if they're willing to acknowledge that this is in their life, but they're trying to make me feel better that it's not that bad or it's only once in a while, um, you, you want to keep in a healthy, you know, gracious way, mm-hmm. lean into that and say, can you be real honest with me and, and ask for some um, understanding of what's going on? And, and just as you said, ask for them to be willing to go find some help. That's absolutely true. Shame plays a huge part in a lot of people's response when they're asked oh, yeah. this, this question. You know, shame won't, makes us want to hide. And we will, it, it, in, and being gracious towards that, I mean, when we look at how, you know, God deals with us in, in our shame, it's sort of like he's, he's gracious enough to be very direct, you know, mm-hmm. with us. But yet, and when we try to run away from him or hide, hide from him, he has his ways of call, calling us out. And so realizing, though, that shame plays a huge part in the denial process. We see that even with with women who, um, you know, who don't think that they've had had any trauma. Well, you know, they feel like their husband's betrayal isn't or their husband's porn use isn't a big big deal. Mm -hmm. But yet they have a lot of other issues issues. But when we start talking to them and start 
um, you know, helping them with, with their husband. If their husband comes in for, for counseling, we're, we're helping her. We find that there's a lot of tra- trauma there, there too. So she goes through some of the same processes as, well, it's not that big, big a deal, yeah. but, but then we find out it yeah. is. Well, I, I think it's important to note that shame can go both directions, that certainly for the person being confronted or being challenged by some behavior in their life, shame is a protective mechanism. But I, I think for the other spouse, shame can be at work also because of that fear that if they are struggling with pornography or if they have a sex addiction or they're going to clubs, that might mean I'm not good enough or I'm not beautiful enough or I'm not yeah. enough for them. And and that shame of or that fear of what if I really am made to feel that way could keep them from asking. So I think it's helpful for spouses to hear that when it comes to pornography or a sex addiction, um, it's not about you. You could never be enough for your spouse to not struggle because their struggle isn't about your beauty. It's about their way of medicating pain or Mm -hmm. uh, something they've fallen into in their life. And so uh, don't let your fear or your shame of maybe I'm not enough for them keep you from confronting this issue because... Mm On the other side, your relationship can get so much stronger and so much better. There's Mm -hmm. such beauty that can come of it, but you really will have to find and lean into the truth of what's going on to get to a better place. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's important because it it goes back to that initial fear when they suspect it. That's usually one of the fears that comes up is, you know, what if this is, you know, I'm, the fear is I'm facing the death of this marriage. You know, if, if he's acted out or if he's using porn, I'm out of here. So the fear of really being direct and asking, it creates a vulnerability in me yeah. to have to rise up and say, I'm going to ask him a direct question. And, and if he says, yes, what am I going to do? Yeah. And so we're faced with a lot of fear in the asking, but without being direct, there's a lot of room for, yeah, everything's fine. Right. And, uh, and everything isn't fine. Then they come in, then they find out later something is wrong. And mm-hmm. then they're going, you lie, lied to me. Yeah. I, w- I didn't lie. You told me, you asked me if everything's fine right. and everything was fine in my mind. So. Well, and another thing just to add to this, this question is that, you know, when I was, when I was in the midst of my addiction, I was very secretive and very deceptive. And so to know that that's the nature of what's going on with an addict and, you know, certain things like uh, really protective over their phone or their laptop device, something practical like that. Like if you ask them about it or you see them, mm-hmm. you know, there were times where if someone picked up my phone, I would go grab it right away and keep it to myself just in case I didn't cover my tracks well enough or if they wanted to look, you know, and find something that they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And so just be aware of that response when uh, when you are looking or when you're seeing some of these signs, I think that there are some practical things that you can see as well, like how deceptive or secretive mm-hmm. um, or isolation, like how much isolation is taking place with that spouse. Yeah. I always want to be a little bit careful because of boundary issues. And I guess sure. because some men or women have a, have the, have a, a, a extra layer of, ba- of, of a boundary. We, you know, that my person, my, my possessions or whatever are mine. And it's not that they're acting out. Right. It's just that they don't want people on, on using their phone or, or, you know, there's, there might be other reasons why they are not wanting you to have sure. access. Like in my day, it was like the wallet, you know, the wallet was the, the man's say, sacred thing. <laughs> and I still don't go into my husband's wall, wallet. It's just something I, as that's my boundary i won't to me that sure. would be I, I would be violating his personal space if i yeah. went into his wallet yeah. i even knock on his office door when he's it's closed it's just something i do and yeah. so 
he's always very open just come come in and i'm like i don't know so we have to really be respectful of you know not not to be overly suspicious just because they don't want you on on the phone or whatever right but and i think what i'm what i'm trying to speak to is just that there may be signs that you see that you pick up on just to be aware of not necessarily that Mm -hmm. that should mean you should go snooping or digging (laughs) but definitely you know to keep or or fear you know fearful of yeah yeah i think that's a great point debbie that if we fear they are violating some of our marriage boundaries, don't turn around and violate a lot of their personal yes, boundaries yes. Yeah. because now you're going to complicate the issue that if you bring up something to confront them and they're like, why do you know this? And they're like, what you were in my, you know, I don't want you doing that. And you know, so now you've got a uh, fault on both sides. And so as much as you can remain, I think that's the great point. Remain respectful of their boundaries, Correct. remain respectful of, you know, what they've asked of you. And, and if you have to violate those boundaries to figure out what they're struggling with, that's probably not the best way to approach it. To go back to what you said, be direct, be calm, be gracious, and ask and, and have that conversation. Absolutely, yes. Okay, so we've talked about really the, the, the front end of this. If there's a suspicion and then you know how to really figure out if that suspicion is something that's actually a reality in the home. But let's talk about communication. Communication inside of a marriage is very important, and it's not always very easy, especially when talking about a suspicion of addiction. So um, just on on the one side, what should spouses avoid when bringing up the suspicion of of struggle to their spouse? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the first thing that we had talked about was, you know, accusing and and blaming. Really, and the whole boundaries thing thing too, is um, being respectful you know, saying, okay, wait a minute, how much is my fear playing plan in here? It's really hard to do when your fear is rising mm-hmm. and, and you're, you want to protect yourself because now you have all the, your, your fears coming to, to, to surface. So the fear that your husband is, or your wife is having an affair or whatever, or whatever, you have to be really, I have to avoid accusing and blaming mm-hmm. and find, find a way to get some help. And I always go back to, to, Queen Esther, you know, what did she face? And we we talk about this in the um, in the sense of how do I bring that up? How do I bring up this 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 suspicion? Well, taking a lesson from from her, Queen Esther was facing death if she just showed up to her husband in her current fear. So you know, her uncle told her, "We're all going to die if you don't do do some something," including her. So she's got this fear. So she waits on it for three days. Prayer and fasting is what she asked her people to do. She had her maids pray pray and fast. Then after that, she put on her royal robe, went before the king while he was sitting, listening to people request, the the people's requests for him. So if we put that in today's view, okay, the first thing she does is she she has some time frame, frame in there. She takes some time to pray and fast. Now, when I brought this up to my gals, we thought, well, could you wait for three three days? Oh, no, we cannot <laughs> wait three days. Sure. So I said, well, how long could you wait? If you said, oh my gosh, I think my husband's on, been using porn. Um, they all agree. Of course, these ladies are all in counseling for, you know, yeah. their their husbands have already gone through all the, 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 the process. So they said, well, 20, 24 hours is the most. And I said, okay, that's great, because usually on a re- recovery action plan, we're asking that their husbands report any uh, relapse within tw- mm-hmm. tw- 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So so tw- 24 hours to do what? What do I do in the waiting? Do I sit there and rehearse what I'm going to ask them and you know, rehearse my, my thing? No, prayer 
is is a good thing. I, I get my support system together. How do I approach this? How do I ask the um, how do I ask that 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 question and bring up those concerns to to my spouse, mm-hmm. waiting for a time when he's ready to listen. He's in that place. So she put on her royal. So Esther put on her ro- royal robe, which to me is re- represent her position and authority as his wife. Mm. She was his wife and queen, but most importantly, that's just her status. She's important to him. She's got. She's his wife. So she's approaching him in that re- regard. I have authority to ask you th- this question because I'm your wife and I'm concerned. And I have a re- request, and so it's being respectful of his position as well, as you know that I don't go blaming and accusing, but I come forth with these that di- di- direct question, like you know I've been feeling disconnected from from you. Um, are you using por- pornography? Um, I I'm feeling I'm feeling because I've I've maybe overheard some something or the compute you've been closing the, the the laptop when I walk walk in the room. And I'm just, you know, what is going on? And so being able to open the door with be- being direct. Well, and that's a great point about Esther picking the right opportunity because sometimes having the right conversation at the wrong time yep. can lead to a bad outcome. Yes. So if, if he or she are on their way out the door going to work, that's not the time to bring it up. <laughs> or don't text them while they're at work. Don't yes. barrage them with it right when they get home. Because probably they're... never text. Text is yes. probably never the right way to do yeah. it. Uh-huh. It's not going to be a healthy form of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, but just thinking about when will this person, when will my spouse have the time and the mental space to answer mm-hmm. this question honestly mm-hmm. and have a real conversation with me? That might be after the mm-hmm. kids are in bed. That might be when you have some time to go out for a cup of coffee, or th- there's just time to really be in that frame of mind, um, because then the conversation can be a lot more fruitful. Absolutely, and it also when you approach with what you're fe- feeling, I've been feeling dis- disconnected, and it causes me a little bit of fear here. It puts his him in the mind frame too to kind of go, I don't want that from my, I I, I want my wife to feel lo- lo- loved and connected. So it creates that, you know, my, wow. I guess my if I'm am if I am using porn, it is causing some prop some some problems here. So it really elicits some empathy from him to sort of get into your space as well. So Debbie, if the couple has had this conversation and it's confirmed that there are some issues with pornography or a sexual addiction, other forms of behavior, what are the first steps that the spouse should take? If 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 it's pornography use, um, I would take that you know ser- serious uh, enough to uh, you know su- suggest can I would like for us to go for some some counseling, and to sort of discuss the issue with a you know somebody who has some ex- experience in this. Is it okay? You know, I'm gonna I, I'd like to research online or whatever, go to Pure Desire, and find some some help because I really want to talk talk this out because I, it, that really feels like a betrayal to me so you know it's, it's really tra- traumatic for a wife or a husband to discover that their spouse has been um, un, unfaithful it's a very deep deep wound and it's a very personal wound and it, mm-hmm. and it should be treated with re- respect that this is a trauma to to the marriage yeah. um, with if it's with um, 
you know, if if he says, oh, no, I've, I've been having an affair or something, that's really, really very serious. So there's obviously extra steps that need to go in there. They do need professional help. Yeah. And you can't just recover from this on on, on your own. Right. I know couples have tried. They thought, okay, it's, it, it's in the past, and she relaxes into the, mar- the, the marriage again. But trust has been bro- broken, and it really requires. So the steps to take would be, you know, call the peer, peer desire offices and at least get a 15-minute con- consultation to talk about your specific needs and your, your specific issues and get uh, direction for that. Yeah. yeah, and it may be for some couples that this is the very first time they're having this conversation. And as one spouse expresses, this is hurtful to me, I'd like you to stop. The other spouse might, this might be the first time they're trying to come to grips with that to realize, wow, I, I wasn't aware of how painful this was. Maybe from their background or their family of origin, it was just kind of a common thing. And so mm-hmm. it's a fair expectation for the one spouse to say, well, I'd, I'd like you to stop because it's hurtful. Mm-hmm. And if the per- other says, well, yeah, I'm going to stop then, yeah, perhaps mm-hmm. in their situation that would be effective. But that can also be the opportunity in the conversation then to say, and it, if it doesn't stop, though, I think we're going to need to seek help. Yes. Because then the, the spouse who is struggling sees there is, there's kind of a, a consequence or an outcome here. If I can't stop or I won't stop, mm-hmm. um, we're going to need to get some help here because of what it's doing to our relationship. And, and not all, I mean, not, it's not that we ever would ask anybody to not pursue counseling, but we do also have groups available for men and women who find themselves in, you know, where there's addiction in the household or a struggle in the household is we have groups for women who have been betrayed. And we also have groups for women who are the addict and then vice versa for men. Uh, which is also a part of our counseling process mm-hmm. is that we get them involved in those groups. And so, um, you know, if, if if the addict or the one who's the spouse that's struggling in the household is maybe open to that counseling, maybe that isn't the first step. Maybe it's going to try to find a support group, whether that's mm-hmm. a pure desire group or something else going on at your church. But just to be active right away. Don't just let it sit after that conversation mm-hmm. and say, okay, I'll work on it. And then, you know, the spouse then feels like they have to check in in another three weeks to see how things are going. Like, make sure that if if that's happening and you do get a good response or, a, uh, I guess, a, a response that realizes, okay, this is a problem, then to immediately try to take mm-hmm. steps, both spouses in that mm-hmm. sense. And I know we've talked a lot about, um, you know, staying calm and uh, identifying your fears. Which sounds which really easy. It, 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 I was just about ready to say that we've, we haven't addressed the issue of like, I cannot control my anger. I am so upset and angry. I am off the walls. Yeah. And we get that a lot because you, you're theorizes. So that should be an indication to you too, that, you know what, I really need, need help. If I cannot stay calm and, and address this in the way that we've uh, mm-hmm. outlined here, that's an indication. I need some extra help or per, professional help too to kind of go oh right i this i cannot calm down and i am so now i'm you know so upset Mm -hmm. that i can't calm calm down so um and that's um usually the case there's usually it's usually is a huge trigger of all the fears that i've ever had in life are now all out on on display so that's an indication too that you know finding even if your husband isn't willing to go, I've got to go for some help, and I can check check in to see if there's a women's group yeah. or men's group. Men, uh, we do have hope hope for men, but there's um, I don't know if there's any groups going going on for for that. But um, my, my husband Harry does a lot of work with the men. We have some yeah. women who we have are some in, online in, groups going in, right now. Oh, with good. That. Yeah, yeah, and that's a a, a great thing because it, they're in a they're different. You know betrayed spouse are on a different journey than than mm. the addict and it's uh 
you know, it's a long, long journey depending on the depth of your, your trauma, because you're in a trauma with this marriage, it, with what's happening in the marriage, but it, it's also a reaction to any past trauma that you haven't dealt, dealt with. So we've got a lot of trauma to walk through yeah. if you are in that position where I'm so angry and I, I'm, now I'm mean and I'm mm-hmm. with, withdrawn and my, my wall's up and I yeah. won't come home. Well, uh, me and Nick got to sit down with Tyler Chinson, our clinical director, you know, a few episodes ago. And, you know, he said that it's really important that both spouses get healing because that's how it's going to really heal the family and the household. That if just one spouse is getting healthy and the other isn't, whether it's the addict or the betrayed, it's really going to be this uneven kind of off-centered household where you want a shared language and you want both spouses to be working towards restoration in their relationship, but then also personal healing of anything that they've had mm-hmm. and really any trauma or pain they've had in their life. That's absolutely true. It's it. We have seen th- miracles happen in mar- marriages over and over again. So yeah. Well, Debbie, it's been great to have you with us and yeah. uh, to get your insights on this challenging area. We want to wrap up the podcast as we always do by just asking you what what final tips or encouragement would you like to give to anyone who's listening uh, and finds themselves in this situation? Well, there is hope, there mm-hmm. is healing, mm-hmm. and there is restoration of the marriage, and there is re- redemption. And it's a series of journeys for, th- for the addict. It's a series of journeys for the betrayed trade spouse. And um, working together, though, as a unit is... Uh, probably the best way way to go but i um just you know i know sometimes you find yourself in that place where all you seem like all hope is lost for this this marriage you'll have your ups and downs on those those journeys highs and lows but don't despair Mm -hmm. there's hope and there's um we have Jesus on our side. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking too, you know, you think of Second Corinthians 3, where Paul's talking about how I go through things in my life so that I better can show the grace and mercy and support of God to other people. And so I think that that's a really important piece when thinking about finding a, a group of people who have a shared experience and who have been through this or have process, are in the middle of processing it together and how that community can help you grow and understand. Because obviously, you know, as soon as you find out that there's an addiction in the home, your first thought isn't, man, I'm going to be able to help other people now. That's not your first thought. Right. But you need that support. You need to have people who are further along in this journey in order to come and to help you figure out not just not just the best way for you, but the best way for your marriage to process this and the best way to glorify the Lord in the midst of all that craziness. Absolutely. It's a, it's a long journey. But it's one well worth taking, especially when you have support. And it's not a fun journey, but Mm-mm. it certainly yeah. is. Um, it, there, there is healing in this. Amen. And I think the final encouragement I would give, when you find yourself in this situation, it's really tempting to believe we are the only people going through this. What's wrong with our marriage? What's mm-hmm. wrong with me? How come everyone else has it together? Well, if, if research is reliable, and I believe it is in this area, Sixty to seventy percent of men are struggling with pornography. Twenty-five to thirty percent of women have a struggle of their own. So you are far from the only couple. And when you start to lean into this, don't stay isolated. Don't feel like you're alone and have to keep on this image of being a perfect couple, because very likely there are many people around you walking through similar things. And if you would begin to seek them out, you'd find incredible support. But it's breaking out of that feeling that we're somehow uniquely bad in our marriage. Yeah, that can be the breath of fresh air that gives you the courage to to take the steps you need to. Yeah, that's great. 
Debbie, thanks so much for helping us navigate just this really tough situation. I mean, I think a lot of people find themselves here and and your experience and wisdom in this area, we're just so thankful for you just coming and hanging out and talking to us about it. Was it was my pleasure. Awesome. Well, and for anyone out there that's in this situation, we really suggest that you call our International Women's Groups Coordinator, Ashley Jamison, or our International Men's Groups Coordinator, Rich Moore. We'll have their numbers attached to the show notes just because you need to find a support group. You need to have, you need to have people around you who have experienced the same thing and have the tools necessary to find healing. And if you feel like you counseling really is something that you and your spouse need and it would be beneficial to you, we just ask that you call our counseling office and we'll have the number attached as well to the show notes. Uh, and I'll just give it to you now. It's 503-489-0237. And really just reach out if that's where you guys find yourselves. And just know that, like Nick said, you're not alone. We are here to support you. Pure Desire exists to help you on this difficult journey. So please don't hesitate to reach out. So Debbie, Nick, thanks so much for hanging out and talking about it today. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. And thank you for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to keep up with the podcast, please subscribe. You can also rate and review our podcast and let us know how we're doing. For more information, check out our website, puredesire.org. And you can also follow us on social media at Pure Desire PDMI. Once again, that's at Pure Desire PDMI. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. For more information, check out our website, www.puredesire.org. Check in each week for new content on the podcast, and we pray that it will help you find hope and freedom on your journey to purity.